Hello, and welcome to the Reinventing Perspectives Founders Series. Today, I talk to founder and real estate entrepreneur, Joe Rocky. If you're a founder or you're thinking about starting a business in real estate or in any other industry, you're going to love this conversation because we dive deep into the realities of being an entrepreneur. So join us on this Founders Series. Welcome to Reinventing Perspectives. Today we have an amazing guest. If you listened in last week, you've heard of him before. So we have Joe Rocky again. Thank you for making the time for this follow-up because we had so much to talk about and hopefully we'll get it all in today. Thanks, Joe, for making time to speak to us. Tell me a little bit about yourself as a founder. How did you create this business? Partially was out of necessity um, and partially was out of the process I went through to figuring out that I wanted to have my own business. Being underneath the management structure I was in that first job out of college selling the life insurance and annuities where I was working 80 hours a week. And yeah, sure, I was getting paid for it, but it wasn't getting paid in the way that I wanted because the way that the annuity and life insurance world worked was if I met someone, I had no idea what I would get paid for selling my product to them because it was all based upon how much money did they have. And one thing you learned really quickly was it didn't matter what income tier people have, their saving rates are all over the place. Said another way, you can be in a room with three lawyers and make a hundred grand. One of them has a great amount of savings and we would make a ton of money off them. One of them have no savings because they would spend more money than they have and continuously do it. And then the other one would be somewhere in the middle. So it would get really frustrating that I would do all this work to try to get in front of these lawyers and then still have no idea if it was ever going to be worth it. So I knew I wanted to get to a spot where I would have control over my product and control over whatever I sold it. I knew how much I would make well before I started this prospecting hunt. So then it really just came down to what direction did I want to go with the business? What did I want to do? And real estate was kind of the one that made the most sense to me because my goal was to get those residual income profit. The rental world was what made the most sense to me because you get the residuals, you get to have the ability of having the equity build up as you're getting residuals. So there's a lot of good things there. You do have to deal with tenants, which obviously is a side effect. And as I started there, I really had no idea what I was doing, but I did sell my first company to my partner. And that was really cool getting paid work that I had done already, but I'm getting paid over time as he bought me out. That part was really what I was trying to get the whole time. And then once I found out that, hey, not only does this work, but I successfully accomplished that within the first two years, it really kind of got me to cling in and constantly stay in the real estate world, particularly aiming in the long term towards some form of a rental outlook, which is what we have now. We have an evolved look at that now. You know, a lot of our audience that's listening as first-time founders, you know, you experience so many challenges. It's great that in two years, you were able to make something happen. But I think for most people starting out without the sales background that you have, they really struggle for those first couple of years in business. And for you, what has yeah. been your biggest challenge as a founder? Well, as I mentioned, prospecting is not something that I'm really a fan of. And so especially as I started, it was, this is universal whether you have a sales background or not. There was things I know needed to be done. I just wasn't good at them and didn't want to do them. I knew they needed to be done. So I started doing them because you have to. But because I didn't like doing them and I wasn't good doing them, it brought all of the morale down. And it just kind of was like, why am I doing this again? And then 
I was putting off the stuff I was good at and did want to do because I really didn't have a good network of partners at the time. I didn't know how to choose a partner in the beginning. And that's really what I'd learned was finding the people that are the opposite. And actually, the other part of this is I learned how to judge people and how to hire people based upon what will they actually be like when I have them versus what were they like or what did they claim they were like when they were working for someone else. I don't know how to teach that. That was just experience of getting burnt enough times and kind of seeing common threads between the various people who said they could do something and how they couldn't. That was just experience of going through it. Again, some of them were on the partner level, some of them were on employee level, but it's just that learning process process of what to look for and what to avoid is really important to keep you out of the realm of stuff that you're not good at to me was the most important part of the startup because recognizing that it's all important sticking the stuff that you're best at will really get you the best results even if it means paying more than you wanted to pay it ultimately puts you in a better spot in the long run very sound advice joe can you tell me for yourself as you were going through this process how did you get your mindset right in terms of like just the pressure sometimes because now have financial obligations if you have employees you have the pressure to make sure that on a monthly that everybody's taken care of and you have all these moving parts going on that you've never had going on before. How did you manage that pressure? There's a lot of it and there's no way around it. I definitely knew every single utility company's letter for the 10-day shutoff. I knew the color it came in based upon the mail. So if a normal white envelope came, it was cool. We didn't have to worry about that one. And we were bouncing around things all over the place, just trying to keep the cash flow afloat, especially early on. Because while a flip does give a nice big check one day, it can take nine months you know, a little bit longer to get that check sometimes. And snags can easily happen along that route that make things longer. So even if it's only selling like three weeks, that three weeks can seem like eternity and you can make bad choices such as giving away 5,000 of your profit margin just to get it one week sooner. So it's only two weeks late instead of three. So those were things that we certainly dealt with in the beginning. And there is no real way to avoid that aside from have more capital stored up. And in my case, I had a ton of capital stored up, but it didn't really set in until it went away and it was fully all in on the business. You know, obviously I was able to see it coming that it was dwindling and all that, but I do think it's something that most of us go through inevitably. I think it's part of the fire that makes things work. It's certainly a big part of the reason why it's hard to create your own business and a lot of people end up backing out of it. But to truly handle the stress, I think that you A, need to know your business. You need to know what you're trying to get to and have that light burning bright in your mind that this is what it's going to be like at the end. And for me, I had to have it be was what was the business going to be doing for my partners, for the clients, particularly because when I only thought about what it was going to do for me, it kind of didn't really work. But when I thought of it as its own independent entity, it will be able to survive and not have to think and it won't have to worry. Now, in reality, I'm the one who's doing all those human emotions, but the business is the one that was having it. So in my head was once it gets to this mature status or even kind of kind of mature status. I had no idea what mature status was at that time. In reality, looking at it, it was like a baby who just learned how to walk. It was very far from mature, but at least it wasn't, you know, floundering. So 
decade later, we kind of learned what mature actually looks like. But nonetheless, the point was the people who fail the fastest are the ones that are focused upon what are they going to get out of it rather than what is the entity going to produce for others around them. It's a drastic mindset switch. To me, it's the important one that really makes things either successful or failure. There's so much in what you said there. And I think a lot of the people listening will really, one, know that it's not only happening to them, know that it's a normal part of the process, know that, okay, other people have done it. You'll be fine if you do certain things. The next question will have to do with getting your operations going. Because when you're starting out, like you said, you're all over the place trying to figure things out i know that i made things harder but i also think this is something everyone does when i first started i essentially had two products in mind i had the flips and i had the rentals i was doing the flips to basically get them to buy the rentals because that was the way that the economy needed to be at the time and it's going back to the direction in the future. But the point is, is that because I was working on two different products in my mind, I was only actively doing the flips at the first. Hardest part was those flips in the beginning. And when I went into the rental world, I had not thought about it in so long, aside from the fact that I just want rentals. I want to have this long-term process. I want to have this long-term revenue. I didn't really think all of the finer details through, such as where do I want the rentals to be? What kind of tenants do I want them to be? And stuff of that nature. So when I finally had enough money to go out and buy the first wave of rental, the thought process wasn't about anything except for what were the rentals going to do for me. Kind of what I just said, that that was the only thought. But because I hadn't figured out where I want them, the kind of profile of a tenant I want, you know, I, I just bought the first three I could basically afford. And they were way too far away from where I personally live, which for a flip didn't matter at all. You drive to where you can make the most money with a flip. But also with a flip, it's on a schedule when I know I'm going to be there, I can plan around it. Not so much so with a rental, um, especially whenever you're showing tenants the property. You're more so married to a relationship you're going to start rather than just creating a good vessel of the house and getting rid of it. And that uh, a different product of in and of itself. That was my really my mistake. I had two products in vision. And once I got to do the one which I thought was going to be essentially the funner one and the more better long-term for me one, I didn't put the time into figuring out how to make it work. I just jumped in way too fast. Again, I mentioned we figured it out, but it was a lot of figuring things out by doing it the wrong way. Having known now what then, definitely two of the houses I never would have bought. And of all three of them, I definitely would have changed all three tenants. So it's just something you learn from and then you learn through. And then eventually you, you see what your idea and your mindset was and you can tweak it to take it to maybe the evolved status of this. Think about the first guy who invented pizza didn't have pepperoni on it. He eventually evolved to think about putting that on there. So this is the same kind of concept. So true. So well said. You learn by doing. And the more you do, the more clear what needs to be done becomes. You can't possibly conceptualize it all in your head without actually being in the process and learning from it. As well as what you shouldn't do comes clear in your head. Um, That part (laughs) becomes clear too. Uh, But sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, that's important too. What you shouldn't do is so important. But you've said so many things. I mean, you talked about sort of the importance of cash flow. You talked about sort of focusing on the thing that would give you the highest return in the beginning so that you could do other things and planning for, okay, what after that high return activity, which is really important, biggest lesson so far as an entrepreneur and as a person of faith. That has 
been ultimately the best result has been always focusing on the long-term projects when you can. And whether that be establishing someone who's eventually going to take over for me. So I don't really get paid for that. But if I don't do it, I never get to walk out of my business and have someone take it over. So that is... One of the ones that's very important, but essentially any that's a long-term projects that we all kind of have in our heads, but sometimes they never get to them. There's always some fire going on. What I have found is the more time that you focus on the long-term projects, the better off it becomes. But that being said, it's kind of like walking from the beach to the ocean. First, think of getting all the way out into the ocean as the long term. When you're first on the beach, yes, it's very hot because the sand's on fire, but it's stable. Like You can get in a zone where you're okay with it, but you're going to burn. If you're trying to go into the beach, the first thing you hit is the breakers, which are giving you all this resistance saying you don't want to get to the other side. You don't want to get there. The water is literally pushing you back with each wave but if you fight through it and get to the other side a your feet are no longer on fire because you're in the water but it becomes calm and all of that craziness of the breakers goes away and that was a really big problem that i was in and trying to figure things out because i know many people go through this process of is this worth is going through all this worth and i'm constantly running around i'm constantly getting pounded you know what is the value of this after you get through the demanding part and you can see what you went through it makes you amazed sometimes how you got through it um but know that once you're on the other side and you've gone to these long-term projects how it kind of just makes life easier in that beginning part when I was bouncing around and Duquesne Light and People's Gas were constantly on me, I was simultaneously doing that to keep the cash flow of the company afloat. But I also knew that if I got past a certain point with them, as far as putting them off to pay them, that it was going to hit their credit and that I'd never be able to get a loan. So that would be like the part where... I was dealing with all the fires, but I knew that if I was going to get to that long-term point, I had to make sure I'd eventually be able to be loan-worthy. I had to make sure that we kept these things in in order. Because it would have been really easy just to say, it's a vacant house. It's getting shown right now. No one's going to turn the stove on anyway. We can just tell we disconnected it, and we just won't pay the gas bill for six months until this thing gets sold. That would have been really easy. Um, and there's a lot of guys that do it, but at the end of the day, I never would have been able to have a rental company because anyone who looked back at my credit will say, well, you haven't paid your gas bill for like a year across these various projects. And that's not something that would have worked in the long term. So cutting corners is obviously very enticing. It's there. I mean, it's a real enticement, but not do it and stay true to it is very important because you never know when you're going to need the loan, regardless of what business you are, whether it be something comes up and you're not getting the sales you wanted or you want to figure out a way to enhance a project. You're always going to need to have the capability of being loan worthy. It's essential. Thank you so much. These are sort of the discussions that people never really hear. You know, a lot of times there's a lot of hype around entrepreneurship. And that's why people feel it must only be happening to me. I must not be smart enough to do this, or I must not be this and that to do this. But this is the reality of entrepreneurship. So thank you so much, Joe, for really sharing that with us. People get caught in these cycles because they think it's all going to be rainbows. But, you know, the reality is, is that it doesn't mean that you're a bad person or even the idea is bad. It's just this is reality. No one ever talks about that when they're trying to sell their seminars, but this is what real life is going to have a lot of times that are not awesome. What would you say to your younger self being where you are now? 
and talking to Joe starting out in this business thing. As a message to our founders, I'll make that our last question. I wish I would have known that I know now. Uh, a, that it will work. I mean, I think that that is the, the number one thing. Going off of what we were just saying there is the self-doubt does creep in. While at the same time, I don't think that I could have really taught myself any of the necessary big picture things. Yeah, I had to learn them. I think it mostly would be about which people to trust and kind of why and which ones also inherently to avoid and why. Because those life skills of how to interview someone, essentially how to judge someone, how to choose what role to put the individuals in, that is something that I wish I would have known earlier. But had I known what the answers were on the test, I would have been able to figure it out. Because the way that I figured it out was doing essentially autopsies on the relationships. Which ones were good, which ones were bad, and why. In that process, also recognizing that the only person who's going to be constant in all of the follow-up relationships is me. So I can't fix them, but if I can see what I did to make this either a better relationship or a worse relationship, it made life better. That's kind of what I would do would be to tell myself which ones were going to work out and not. So I wouldn't have to wait until it crashed and burned and I had to fire them. Or I saw that, oh, I actually can trust this guy. So I think that 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 is the one thing I would, because most of the learnings I had came from something that was wrong and, and failing in it. You know, no one likes this design of kitchen. Every tenant lawyer can beat this kind of argument. Like I just learned those from doing it and then ultimately learned like who are the actual tenants that are just going to pay and never have to worry about and who are the ones who play the system and just want to live for free. Really, it would be a relationship answer about how to do that. And once you learn that skill of how to remove yourself from the equation, basically think of it as if you were looking at a situation from a third party's eyes and you were just person X. Person X was interacting with person Y the way that you were witnessing this and none of your personal bias was involved, would person X and person Y's interaction be acceptable? And if the answer is yes, then it's probably good. If the answer is no, you have to figure out is it person X's fault? Is it person Y's fault? Or is it all probably both of your faults? And you need to figure out how to keep that from happening again. And that is real skill set that I think I learned that solved this problem moving forward. I can look at myself now and judge myself and say, hey, this probably isn't reasonable to expect that. This isn't reasonable to try to articulate this that way and stuff like that. So I think that that is the skill set that I would try to ultimately hint upon myself of what to learn. I love that at the end of the day, it comes down to relationships. When you're starting out, you'd think it'd be running ads or how to market or how to do this, but you realize that it does all boil down to those life skills of relationships. So thanks for sharing that, Joe. I know that there might be some people who are listening and who are interested in real estate. How do you keep current on what's happening in real estate? That would be a great tip for our audience. The number one way I really keep current is constantly being in the field. So I'm constantly seeing what people are going through and talking to them. So essentially, that's talking to your peers. Because as you said earlier, the vast majority of stuff that you see is fluff or, or not really accurate, especially when it comes from a TV or a national person, uh, because the majority of them have no idea what they're talking about. And that really has been my experience, particularly in the world of real estate, because they might have a theoretical degree about what they're talking about, but they haven't actually done it in the real world. And when you're sitting behind the salary desk of 
just talking to a TV without any consequences, there's no real stakes in it for you. But dealing with other people who are going through the same thing as you, you know, conversations with your customers or your clients, depending on what the situation is, that's really kind of how I keep current with it. So when I see that all kinds of people around me are telling me how hard it is for them to get people to go up on the roofs and to fix the problems or just to get any kind of contractor in your property at all, originally it was because the government said you couldn't come in for COVID. Now it's because the amount that they think they should be paid is so unrealistic based upon what the government just paid them to do nothing. So collectively, I mean, the real answer is going to be we're going to be in a standoff. We can only pay so much. That's reality. We can't pay infinity that the government wants us to pay. Business can only afford so much on an hourly rate. So basically, there's going to be a standoff. And either we're going to be able to wait out and see when the contractors will be able to accept the actual market rate, or there's too few of us to matter. And some guy will hire anything he wants for his own personal house. And then as a result, two things happen. You have less flips being built, which means you're going to have less supply of properties, which means anyone who's buying a house pays more. So how do I say current? I talk to guys and do it. And that's the reality we're living in right now because they chose to pay people not to work in the scale that they did. Now, everyone who's buying a house is paying more. Everyone who's going to pay for their utilities for the next three years will pay more uh, because you weren't allowed to turn the utilities off on someone who chose not to pay. So there's a select part of the country who just paid nothing during COVID. And the rest of us are going to pay for their decision. And the fact that the government let them in some cases encourage them to do that, the rest of us who actually do things well will be paying for it. Those are kinds of realities that sink upon you and you go through it. The answer is, is you just stay involved. And I do so in physical contact with people. The internet, I find chat rooms and some various things. You can get some concepts, some feels, but really how it is in your area is what matters. I mean, because really, if, if your footprint is only in one city, what doesn't matter what the rest of the people are doing? It's does it work where you're at? Now, obviously, as you get bigger, you need to expand your reach. But for me, I need to know what's going on here in Pittsburgh. I also do know it's not a unique phenomenon. It's happened in every state that had significant shutdown, but that's what I need to know. So that's how I do it. Just constantly talking to people, seeing what's going on in their lives. And it's really the best way to do it. So to just stay open, have your phone ready for calls and jump out and have lunch with people. I mean, that's basically the answer. Really, really great advice. Sometimes following the media is not always the best way to make your decisions. You need to meet people who are going through what you're going through and speak to people and get the information from the horse's mouth. So you know what's actually going on. So, wow. Thank you so much, Joe. And to our audience, please check out the episode before this one and catch up on everything we talked about with Joe. It's going to be really insightful for you. Thank you, Joe. Well, thank you for having me. Yes. For more information, freebies, and clips from various episodes, please follow us on Instagram at Reinventing Perspectives or go to our website, www.reinventingperspectives.com. Thank you so much for your time. We absolutely value your time and even more, we value your feedback. Don't forget to leave us a review. Thank you so much and see you again next week. Mm-hmm.